0: we have Jesus as our Redeemer, we have free access to our Father. Our sin has been covered, and he invites us into his presence. But because he is our rock, we can come to him with confidence to give him our needs. He is strong enough to handle every need that we have. So if you would join me now in a prayer petition as we go before him in prayer, would you pray with me? Almighty God, we do come before you in the name of Jesus Christ and we bring our needs to you. Indeed, we thank you that you are ready and eager for us to come to you. Father, you take joy in us and you joyfully welcome us in so that we can come and tell you the needs that we have and that you can be glorified in our lives as we present those needs to you, that you can show yourself to be faithful. Father, one need that we have as a church is to grow in you. We need more of you. Father, we pray that you would help our church to grow. Father, we're reminded again that Our church is made up of individual members. Father, that you have chosen to make a bride for your son through redeemed people like us. And so this morning, we again pray on behalf of individual members here at our church, oh God. Father, we pray on behalf of Marianne Jensen. And we thank you for her faithful testimony in this church for so many years, loving her family and her husband and her church family so well, working to be a testimony in her workplace of Christ. Oh God, would you help our sister to continue to witness uh, the good news of Christ to those around her? to be faithful in this task, day in and day out, to to love her family well, to love Daniel well. Lord, strengthen her, we pray. Father, we pray on behalf of Vlad and Phoebe, and we, we thank you for bringing them back from Ukraine. Father, we are so humbled and grateful for the work that they have done over the past months in Ukraine, and how they have loved the least of these, those who are hurting and neglected and how clearly they have shared the gospel in many places father we pray that now you would strengthen vlad that you would strengthen our sister phoebe father that as they now spend months here in florida that they would find themselves renewed in christ and in your body that we as a church would love them well Father, that you'd continue to use this family for your glory, O oh God. Father, we pray on p- behalf of Pat and Butch Squires. Father, we pray that you would continue to give grace in their home. Father, what a privilege it is to have this couple that have been walking with you for so many years among us and have served you in so many ways. Father, in this season of life, We pray that you would show yourself to be steadfast, that you would give this dear family endurance and joy, that you would be honored in their home, oh God. Father, we pray not just for those who are church members, but for those who are church members and also serving as elders among us and pastors over us. Father, I pray this morning, we pray together for Bob Lutz, we thank you for our brother Bob. We thank you for his many years of loving this body well. Father, we pray that you would help Bob this week to love his wife Clara well and to model for her and for his family every day how Christ loves the church. Father, we pray that he would raise his his children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Father, we pray that that Bob would have all wisdom and Discernment as he goes to work each day this week. Father, would you let Bob witness to others of your love? May he be steadfast. May he, his words be seasoned with salt. God, may he honor you in his workplace. And may he also continue to shepherd this flock well for your glory, we pray. Father, we pray for all of us now many who have not been named right now, who are together gathering in your name. We gather to sit under your word, and we pray that you would speak to us, O God. We pray that you would uh, use your word in our hearts to quicken our affections for Christ. O Lord, that we would have joy in Christ. Father, we pray that you would use your word in our hearts to, to is stir a zeal for one another, to stir in us a desire to love one another and serve one another and help edify one another. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be present and would do this in our hearts, even now as I speak. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, growth in maturity is one indispensable sign of health. Or, as others have said, healthy organisms grow. You and I both know this to be true. We can think of an acorn growing into a sapling, and then that sapling growing into an oak tree one day. The growth into maturity reveals the health of the tree. Or a tadpole that is healthy, uh, it is shown, shows its health as it matures into a frog. Or perhaps something more relatable, a 401K grows into maturity, into the, the nest egg that you want for your retirement. And So if, as you're moving through your years of employment, it's not growing larger well, then you're very concerned about your unhealthy 401K. Friends, healthy organisms grow. I wonder, what about the local church? What about us as a a community of believers, all committed to one another? How does a church show its health? What does the Bible teach us about how churches are to grow? Now, perhaps when you think of church growth, the first thing that might come to your mind is numbers. Well, that's not entirely unbiblical to think about the numbers of people gathering together. The Bible certainly speaks in acts of the church growing in size. But are numbers themselves a good indicator of health in a church body? Are numbers of people, what the Bible emphasizes, that churches are to primarily pursue as they grow. Make no mistake, I I, I want to. We all want to see more people come to Christ. We want to see our evangelism grow, our outreach grow as a church. I'm all for eagerly adding to the number of believers among us. But fundamentally, when the Bible speaks of churches growing more people coming into the church is just one indicator and honestly unreliable at that of how healthy the growth is you can easily have a a growing in numbers and yet still a decreasing in health no spiritual growth in the bible is it's far more complex than the the number of people gathering together in a room Today we want to look at what the Bible says about spiritual growth in the life of a church. If healthy organisms grow, what does spiritual growth look like for a church, according to the Bible? Today's passage, Ephesians 4, will answer this question clearly and powerfully. Today's passage is the the type of passage that can radically shape a church and, and fix our eyes on the right goals as a church and avoid the the allure of short-term aims which work in a body like an athlete taking steroids. They they look so impressive, but underneath there's so little true health. Today's passage helps turn away from false short-term growth church if we're willing to listen and pay attention to god's word we'll see how god brings spiritual growth to a church like ours so if you haven't already open your bibles to ephesians chapter 4 we'll be in verses 11 through 16 as nick just read for us if you don't own a bible uh, after the service please feel free to talk to one of our greeters who will make sure that you have one Uh, My sermon will just be so much easier, and honestly, you'll get more out of it if you have the Bible in front of you, and not just on a screen, uh, but in your hands where you can just read it for yourself, and you can even follow along, You you can see the argument of the text, and then maybe even read it again this afternoon. This passage teaches all about spiritual growth as a whole church. We'll see four things about spiritual growth from this passage. So we're gonna see what does it look like, where does it take us, who must be involved, and how does it happen? The what, the where, the who, and the how of spiritual growth. What does it look like? Where does it take us? Who must be involved, and how does it happen? My prayer is that you'll see how spiritual growth takes place in our church and understand how you must be involved. Well, firstly, let's talk about number one. What does spiritual growth look like for a church, like ours? Well, Paul gives us a picture of it in the the center of this passage. So jump down with me and look at verse 14, right there in the middle of the passage. Paul writes, "...so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes." Then, in the middle of verse 15, he adds, Rather, we are to grow up in every way. So, the the picture is that growth is seen in stable doctrine. And and Paul uses here two illustrations for us to help this this growing that's happening in our midst really come alive for us. The the first is of a child. Do you see that there in the text? It's not a positive picture of a child. Now, scripture often uses children as good examples that we're to follow, but not this time. Now, this time, Paul seems to be thinking of the weaknesses of a child. And any parent who's ever had a child knows that the younger a child is, the more vulnerable they are, the, the less stable and less firm they are. Many of you might recall uh, your firstborn and bringing them home from the hospital and asking yourself, shouldn't I be more monitored right now? Like, am I really allowed to have this thing in my house? Like, shouldn't this be approved or something? I mean, it's just so obviously just incredibly fragile, and it's up to you to make sure it lives. It's in your hands. You mess it up, it's like a a big deal. And it lays there, and it's sleeping, and it's breathing. It's just so tender that it's almost imperceptible. So the first night, you just wake up constantly and get really close to it and look very closely to say, is this thing really still breathing here? Well, the word that Paul uses here for child is this word for infant. It's for a small child. Paul says that we are to no longer be like that unstable infant. But you are, verse 15, to grow up in every way and so spiritual growth is a maturing of our faith well then paul gives us the second illustration he makes us imagine wind and waves which carry us around if you've ever been on a boat you know that a boat is subject to waves when the waves come the boat goes up and when the waves go away the boat goes down the waves push the boat back and forth. Boats riding waves are a, a picture of, honestly, something that is not very stable. And so we go on cruises and we get sick because the boat is constantly moving. And that's a big boat. Waves move things around. They, get, they toss around things easily out in the ocean. Or, or maybe you could think about wind. Here, as Floridians in South Florida, we know the power of wind. We, we deplete our savings accounts so that we can buy special windows that are strong enough to withstand the sheer force of hurricane winds. We hang panels across our windows, across the sides of our house to protect us of the, the power of, of the incoming wind, the force of the wind. And so waves push back and forth, creating instability. Winds blow with force. And Paul says, we are not to be moved around like that. We're not to be unstable in in the powerful forces of really wrong doctrine. Do you see that there in the text? Verse 14. Specifically, he says, false doctrine, human cunning, crafty, deceitful schemes. And so it seems like there was a risk that this church in Ephesus thought that maybe to grow up they needed clever new doctrines maybe they were in buying into that they were being pushed around like a boat out at sea craftiness clever human ideas schemes plans for growth that were less than honest This, by the way, would be a great discussion around your lunch table this afternoon. What are some false ideas about growth that rely on craftiness in our world today? What's being bought into? In our world, crafty ideas, shifting doctrine for how growth takes place. What looks plausible in our world, Like, like loaded dice, right? They look good, they look fine, you roll them, but underneath there's a crafty intent, not built on the transparency of true doctrine. See what ideas you can come up with those you eat lunch with today. A mature church doesn't get carried around by crafty human ideas. Paul says spiritual growth looks like gaining a stable maturity in your doctrine as a church. Well, the second thing we learn about spiritual growth in the church is the where. So we saw the what. Now let's look at the where. Where does this spiritual growth take us? And, and verse 13 is really clear on this. Verse 13, if you look down, is it's all about destination. Look at it again. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ so really if you want an answer if you're taking notes the answer to question number two is maturity in christ where does this growth take us it takes us to maturity in christ take a minute and just look at verse 13 there in your bibles with me the verse you can kind of see it's really three sets of parallel ideas in the esv each of uh, the phrase begins with the word to, so this is the direction we're going to number one unity of faith and knowledge to mature manhood and then thirdly to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So these are three descriptions of one reality These are not three different stages of growth that take place or three different Destinations that we could each end up in now. I think this is one reality one destination Described in in three different ways here in the text And it's speaking of maturity in Christ. Notice this maturity is one of unity. Do you see that there? One marker that our church is maturing is that we are united in Christ, that we are unified. So you can think of a a team that maybe works well together. I've shared before about my love for rowing, and the joy that I had of being on a rowing team back uh, in Egypt, on the Nile. And, and the point of the team is that they are all together, that they are in unison as one united group. Not a single uh, cut or a stroke is lagging behind as the whole uh, crew together rows at the same instant. Each oar is hitting the, the water at precisely the same moment, the same depth, the same angle, and, and it's pushing together. Well, an immature rowing team would be one that's not unified. They're, they're just all over the place, each kind of doing their own thing. They're, they're bumping into each other's oars. They're, they're tipping the boat, because honestly, if you strike at the wrong time, the boat will become immediately unstable and tip. I speak from the voice of experience. <laughs> this would be an immature team. Friends, one way maturity in our church will be evidenced is by our unity together in faith and knowledge. So if you ever see a church that has members meetings that are full of bickering, or if you ever have parts of a church that are willing to listen to gossip, or if you ever have members in a church scheming against the shepherds of that church well friends that is a church that is biblically immature it is not grown up maturity includes unity write that down maturity includes unity the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the son of God So our growth in unity will take us into knowing God more and more. You see that in verse 13? You can also, by the way, see that in verse 15. If you look down at the end of 15, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Spiritual growth takes us into knowing Christ more together. So Paul continues here, it seems, with this illustration of a body and, and he speaks of mature manhood. He's is not talking about a, a gender issue here. No, he's wanting to give us a a picture of a fully developed, strong physical body. So just like we thought about that infant a minute ago coming home from the hospital and how unstable that child was, well now maybe you could just kind of picture an Olympian, right? Someone that's a a fully grown adult. Last time you watched the Olympics and you saw someone getting ready to compete, think of how how strong and how stable they were in that moment. Fully grown, fully mature. Every part of the body and every muscle ready for that moment. Well here, that's the picture of what maturity looks like for us. And the stature of of that fully grown adult verse 14, the posture of that church is the body of Christ himself. It's Christ. Do you see it there in the text? The fullness of Christ's maturity is what we are measured against. It's what we're growing into. So church member, I wonder, in what ways do you look like Christ? And in what ways do you still not look like Christ? preaching through the book of Luke after this series it's a great time to be thinking about that each week. How do I look like this and how do I not look like this? Do you have the gentleness that Christ had with everyone around him? Is that true in your life? Do you have the the long suffering and patience that Christ had with those who ridiculed him? Is that true of you? Do you have the compassion and love that, that Christ had for those who others might have thought would be an annoyance to him? He was just compassionate and loving to them. Do you have the boldness and the fear of God that Christ had that led him to always speak the truth and not fear man? Friends, spiritual growth takes us into the maturity of Christ, into his stature. So measure Jesus. Check his height. Put him against that wall that you have in your house where you're just checking heights as they grow up. Check Jesus' posture. See what he looked like. Put his character against that tape. And that's what we're to become like. The measure of Christ. Let me just pause here and just say to any non-believer friends in the room, maybe you're just visiting here at this church and and thinking about what do Christians believe. Well, you need to know that, that this standard that I'm talking about right here is just impossible for you on your own. Christians talk about growing up But the first way to grow is to be born You must first be jesus says born again You must come alive in christ before you can ever grow in christ So if you want to hear more about this, you should just talk to another member here today or talk to Myself at the door or find another elder To hear about how it is that god first makes a christian. It's through the message of the gospel That is through the message that that God has created us to know him, but we have sinned against him. And our sin deserves death. But the good news is that Jesus Christ took that death on himself for us. And he he did that on the cross, and he he rose from the dead, conquering death and and sin, so that anyone who will trust in him will have this, this new life that we're talking about today will be what scripture says is to be born again because you trust in what he has done and he creates in you a whole new person. If this is new to you, there's nothing more important for you to think about today than that gospel message. Well, Let's keep going. Thirdly, we see not only the what and the where of spiritual growth, but we see the who. Who must be involved in this process of spiritual growth as our church? Now, let me just say one downside of just coming to this passage by ourselves, by itself, is that we're not able to see the full context of the book of Ephesians. Uh, This book of Ephesians is all about talking about how God is not just rescuing individuals. That's not what he's doing. No, he's building a whole new society. He's building a whole new people, which Ephesians calls the church. And so we're not surprised here that the spiritual growth in this passage, we're about to see it's a group project. You see, you are to grow, if you're gonna grow spiritually, you grow in community with others. One of those crafty lies of the devil that we talked about a minute ago, the deceitful schemes, one of them that's just taken root really well over the last 50 to 100 years in our country, Is that you could possibly grow by yourself. It's it's just a lie. It's not what the Bible shows. Your spiritual life is not your own business. It's what scripture teaches. It's a lie from the devil to tell you that the road to heaven is a private one, that you just work really hard at yourself. No, no, no. This is a journey together with other believers who are helping you along the way. It's a group project, and that's what we see with number three. Who must be involved? The answer to that question is actually three sets of people in the text. So the first set, I'll just call, we'll call them spiritual leaders. Look down there at verse 11. Spiritual leaders must be involved, especially pastors. Verse 11 begins with, And he gave. Let me just pause here. The he is Jesus in the context, and the gave is the idea that after he was victorious in death and he ascended into heaven, as this triumphant king is giving out gifts. So Jesus ascended into heaven and he's triumphant and he's giving gifts. So verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So here we have four roles given by Christ. And you'll notice all of them are teaching-oriented roles, concerned with truth, which relates to what we'll see in a minute about truth. Uh, The first two are apostles and prophets. Now, by the way that Paul is using these two together in the book of Ephesians, it's clear, at least in Ephesians, that he seems to be thinking about those who were set apart to found the church initially. Uh, Apostles were those who had witnessed the resurrected Christ. Prophets were those who spoke about Christ by inspired revelation from him. Both groups, if you would just want to look this afternoon, are mentioned together as as one group in Ephesians 2.20 and then in Ephesians 3.5. Then Paul also references evangelists. Here he's, he's likely thinking of those who would first bring the gospel, to a people in Ephesus, who would bring that news to those who had never heard. Then he speaks of this fourth group. You see there at the end of verse 11, pastors and teachers, or shepherds and teachers. Here he's speaking of this shepherding teaching role as one role in the church. Uh, as others have pointed out, we, we find that out of these different roles in this verse, this is the only office that the New Testament establishes as an ongoing and formal role in the local church. We know this because elsewhere we can read the qualifications for this role and this formal role. If you want to read Titus one or First Timothy three, well, this group—pastors and shepherds and teachers. Uh, Paul had just specifically addressed when he had come and visited this church in Acts 20. Uh, If you go back and you can read it, in Acts 20, he had told those pastors in this church in Ephesus to pay careful attention to themselves and to the whole flock in which the Holy Spirit has made them as overseers. Well, here in Ephesus, we, we get to this verse, and we see that this group seems to be one group. Pastors, teachers. There's no the, if you notice, even in the English, but before teachers. So he's talking about one role here, and it seems that shepherds are those who care for the flock, especially in their teaching. Guarding the flock through the word of God. So whether that's in a counseling meeting or in a discipling relationship or in a conversation you have with an elder after church or from the pulpit right now. What I'm I'm doing right now, pastors are to build up the flock through teaching truth. And we see here this role is a gift of Christ to the church. It's a good thing for you. It's meant for your good. So here at First Boynton, our church has Uh, paid pastors and we have non-paid pastors which we often call elders it's the same role pastor elder and our job as all of us pastors there's six of us is to give ourselves for your spiritual growth this is what we are daily praying for as pastors here is your growth in christ this is what we regularly meet together and discuss primarily This is what we are discipling and counseling many of you for. This is what we're overseeing the work of the church for. We are working to see that one day you will come before the great chief shepherd as a mature and grown flock in the stature and fullness of Jesus Christ. That's our goal for you. Beloved, as your church and as, as one of your pastors, let me just tell you, it is such a joy pastor you I want to say thank you thank you for making it such a happy task for me personally to be here among you if I don't say this enough I love you I love you as a church and it's an honor to be with you here it's an honor to travel together it's an honor and a privilege for me that you would want my help in your spiritual growth That you would come to me and to the other pastors and say, help me grow into the image of Jesus. It's incredibly humbling. It's a joy. I I know that everything I just said, the other five pastors of this church would give a hearty amen. Amen, brothers? Now, I've been pausing over these words, shepherds and teachers. I'm just trying to reflect with you. But church, look at what the pastors are to do specifically. Look at what it says. Let's keep reading. Verses 11 and 12. He gave pastors and teachers to do the work of ministry? No. It says, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. So who is centrally involved in the spiritual work in the body? Well, this verse says it's the saints. This verse says it's the church members who are to be busy helping each other grow. Do you see it there in the text? Verse 12. Pastors and teachers given to equip the saints, to do the work of ministry. He says it again down in verse 16, if you look down there. We are to grow into Christ, verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. Not when each elder is working properly, although we should be. But when each part of the body is working properly. Makes the, the body grow so that, do you see it at the end of the verse 16 there? So that it builds itself up in love. So the whole body makes the whole body grow. That's the picture we see here. Spiritual growth in a healthy church is seen through the ministry of its members together. So you can think back to that illustration that, that Paul keeps coming back to in this passage of that, that physical body. Well, when your body gets hurt, or when you're younger and your, your body is growing, one of the miracles of the human physical body is that it repairs itself, that it grows up itself. We could say that it is self-developing in a sense. It's why the the physical body here is such a good picture of the church body. Because it's the body that helps the whole body to grow. Let me me say this another way. It's the, the members of First Boynton that make a healthy church mature. I mean, we as pastors have a heavy right responsibility in our role. There's plenty of ministry we are to do. But according to this verse, you as the body, it's your role to make sure that this church matures. What a weight. What a heavy uh, realization. Do you realize that this is your job in the church? My job is to equip you. If you are here as a church member, your job is to help other people in this church grow spiritually. Do you believe this? Do you remember this? Or have you uh, mistakenly forgotten that it's your role? And maybe mistakenly thought that that's why we hire the professionals. So they can do this for us. Oh no. I'm here to equip you. In fact, if you're a member here, you've covenanted to this. Uh, In our church covenant, uh, which we review in our members meetings, this is what we say. We say, we will faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We say, we will endeavor to bring up, that is, to grow up, such as may at any time be under our care, so anyone who is under our care at any time, we will help to grow them up, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We promise this, all of you who are church members here today, part of First Boynton, you promised this. This isn't a covenant for pastors. I mean, it is for them too, because they're church members, but this is what every church member here promises to do. And so if you're even here today, perhaps you're thinking about becoming a church member, and you're thinking about uh, being part of this body. Well, you're signing up to help others grow. It's one of the things you're signing up to do. And you're signing up to have others help you grow. That's part of what you're signing into here today, or in this church. You're signing up to admonish others, as, as this says, which means to warn them, or to entreat others, that is, to encourage them eagerly to obey, to build them up in the nurture of the Lord. Church, the, the, the job of discipling others is on your shoulders. And you don't have the the right to not invest spiritually in others. You don't have that right, according to Scripture. Now, if you want a list of people that you could do this with, we've been working at making it easier for you to know who it is that you could invest in spiritually, who it is that you could potentially target or disciple. Uh, We have a list going, and we call it our membership directory. It's why we've been talking so much about this. Is because this is a list of people who have made this covenant. Who have said, I want what the Bible is teaching here. I want to enter into that type of community. I want this church to help me grow. And I want to help others in this church to grow. It's what being in a church and being committed to a church is. Friends, this is the job of discipling. And it is every member's role. It might look different at different times. You know, some of you at Seasons might be more of a net importer of spiritual help from others. And some of you at other times in your life might be more of a net exporter. Like you're giving more than you're getting for others. But if you want to obey the scriptures, you will not leave this job to others. We'll say in a minute, more about the how. Let me just briefly note note a third party in this answer of the question of who. That is really clear across the book of Ephesians, and here we see a couple hints of it. Christ is central in this. Do you see that there in the text? Christ is the one fueling your work in the church. You see this most clearly in verse 15. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, so the picture is like that body we're thinking about. Well, the head of that body, the thing that ties it all together, the thing that keeps it alive, that head is Christ. And that's what the rest of the body is growing up into. And then it says from whom the whole body grows. Do you see that from whom in your text there? The from whom is talking about the source of you growing. So you are working, you are growing together, doing ministry together, but your work is nothing if it's not fueled by Christ. It's from him that the, the body grows. It's from whom? From Christ that this body will be built up. This is why in just a few minutes, we're gonna sing to one another and, and we're gonna remind each other of this. Our, our closing song after the sermon is less of a, a, a song of praise, although it is that, and is a song to one another, speaking these truths to one another. This is what we're gonna sing. We're gonna say, Should nothing of our efforts stand, nor legacy survive, unless the Lord does raise this house, in vain its builders strive. All that we're doing is from Christ. Christ is the measure of our growth. He is the destination of our growth. And he is the means, the supernatural means of our growth. Oh, beloved, we need Christ to grow up as a church. Well, fourthly, uh, let's end with a very practical question. Uh, Not only the what, the where, and the who, but fourthly, how does this happen? How does Uh, This spiritual work of ministry in this body take place. Now, I think if you asked uh, many Christians in our world today uh, how members are to be involved in ministry, uh, you'd often hear them begin by pointing to physical tasks. And I do think that physical tasks have their right place. I mean, there there are chairs that need to be set up. There. tables that need to be taken down. There are breakfasts that need to be made. There are babies that need to be held. And and this is a very biblical idea that we serve one another. But what's interesting is here in this passage, physical tasks are not what Paul first thinks of when he thinks of a growing church. He speaks of serving elsewhere, but, but not here. Look down at verse 15. And catch the weight of this. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. It's through speaking the truth in love. Now, I understand here that the truth he's referring to is likely the capital T truth of God's word revealed. I can argue for you for that later after the service if you want to talk about it. I think it's a special kind of truth that is primarily thinking of here. It's that it's that active agent. Do you remember four weeks ago we talked about Ezekiel and his speaking the word of God over the dry bones, and life is created? It's that same idea. It's that that truth that's going out. God's word, which creates life in one another. Well, it's speaking the truth in love. And that's how we were to grow up in every way into him who is the head, who is Christ. So, beloved, you speak the truth in love. When you stop after the service... And you pray for another Christian who is struggling. You speak the truth in love when you send a text message this week with scripture to encourage another member in Christ. You speak the truth in love when you gather two or three sisters together with you to sit on your back porch once a month and and confess sin and pray together and read the Bible together. You, you speak the truth in love when you are willing to sit down with a brother or sister that you are afraid is in sin, and you, at risk of their displeasure, are willing to talk to them about their sin as if it's your business. You speak the truth in love when you come to a, a Sunday morning Bible study at 9 o'clock or to the Colossians Wednesday night Bible study at 615, and you you join in the discussion together, and you apply the text to one another in the room with others there. You speak the truth in love when you volunteer for our children's ministry, and you spend your precious time sitting with a young child and explaining the gospel to them clearly. You speak the truth in love when you meet someone for breakfast this week and you discuss the sermon text and you you open up the passage and you read it again and you see how it applies to your life specifically. You, You speak the truth in love when you call someone on the phone this week to tell them that you're thinking of them and take the moment to pray for them right then and there. You speak the truth in love when you come to this assembly on time, you're in the room, and with your voice, you sing loudly and clearly so that this whole room is built up as there are 200 people together speaking truth in love to one another. Friends, what if becoming a member in our church meant entering into a whole web of relationships Where lives are being changed from God's word being spoken each to one another all week long. Where God's word is being spoken from every one of our mouths to every one of our ears, growing each other up with hearts that are full of love for one another. Who wouldn't want to be part of that type of community? We should conclude. Uh, When my family arrived in Boynton Beach last summer, we were immediately uh, accepted into the important membership of Beverly Jeans Wholesale Club, or known among the commoners as BJ's. Uh, Our membership was what one author calls a comfort-based commitment. Entrance was fast and easy. The relationship was one way. It was happily dictated by me, the consumer. I'm happily the consumer of discounted gasoline and unreasonably sized quantities of various snacks. <laughs> Most importantly, free samples, at the end of each aisle. If I don't enjoy the sample, I throw it away boldly in front of him. I don't even have to pretend like I like them. At Beverly Jeans Wholesale Club, I'm nearly as anonymous as I want. I come and I go as I please. And as long as they're meeting my needs, I'll stay. After all, why would I stay at BJ's if they're not all meeting my needs? Why would I stay invested there? If a if, uh, Walmart down the street offers cheaper pretzels, oh, I'm happy to price compare and immediately take my business elsewhere. BJ's serves me. It's a comfort based commitment. Oh, but friends, too many Christians view membership in a local church like it's a BJ's membership. We think. Our, our hearts, even us, even me, our hearts can slip into this mindset of coming to be served, of, of being happy to be anonymous, of do not signing any covenant, committing to act to others in a certain way. I will come and go as I please. Oh, but the Bible casts vision for a relationship to others in a local church with radically different terms. Church membership, as as one author describes, is a calling-based commitment. At times, it's very uncomfortable. It's meant to be intensely personal. It's a two-way relationship. You are meant to come uh, as a servant and as a minister and not as a consumer. You are meant to come, not for an easy experience, but to grow up into full maturity as you work to make sure that others are growing up with you into full maturity. As you work to make sure that those around you make it to the finish line. They make it to King Jesus. You you come into this relationship not selfishly for what it can encourage in your heart only, but saying but thinking unselfishly because you want others to be found faithful in that final day. Friends, this is what we've seen this month. We've seen that the church is a group of people created under God's word, miraculously, supernaturally, as the word of God goes out. We've seen that the church is identified by true faith and true repentance. It's our job to be that embassy. We've seen that God's people assemble before him as active participants, as as a kingdom of priests, of worshipers in this assembly. Today we've seen that the church has the goal of, of spiritual maturity, which is reached as you are equipped to yourself do the work of ministry. What a glorious design God has given to the local church. All glory be to Christ. What a glorious design that Christ has gifted us so that we can grow ourselves up together into him, the head. So that we can be part of, of building this building, this house, for the glory of Christ. Won't you join In this work today. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we plead with you for your help. In this glorious work that belongs to Christ. Would you grow us up. As a church into Christ. Yes, through pastors and elders who serve faithfully equipping the saints and guarding the whole flock and themselves. Oh, but Lord, through also a membership, a group of people who are committed themselves to growing in Christ Jesus and to seeing growth take place in one another's lives. Oh, we plead with you, would you give us this power and this strength from whom, from Christ, the whole body is held together. Work in us, we pray. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. For all glory to him. Amen.